Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 42 of Grow Bud Yourself, the Jackie Robinson episode. We have got a great show for you guys. Uh, No guests this week, no big whoop, because we've got a lot of great grow info for you guys, including uh, how to deal with fungus gnats, a fun game that we're going to play about strains, as well as grow Q&A, all brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, and Diamond Cut Co. Trimming Scissors. So stick around for episode 42 of Grow Bud Yourself. All right, welcome back. And as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the incredible reggae intro tune. Uh, rest in peace to you, Roy, the legendary reggae singer toaster uh, who died this week. Um, and welcome to the show. It is episode number 42. Uh, which I call the Jackie Robinson episode. That's the only only player with that number that uh, gets gets the love from me. Although, you know, Mariano Rivera Mariano, yeah. pretty mean. He pitched a pretty mean game, but he probably should have wore a different number. Yeah, well, you're, you're a Red Sox guy, so, you know. <laughs> well, Mets, too. Man, 86 must have been rough for you. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, not not a great year in Red Sox lore, for sure. Uh, but, you know, but Mets. four. They got. They came back and yeah. yeah. Anyway, because you said you were a Mets and Red. Never mind. Well, I. You know what? It's, I was a Red Sox fan. Then I moved to New York, and I couldn't be a Yankee fan. Uh, so I, I kind of okay. adopted the Mets. I mean, Red Sox kind of did it to themselves in '86. The Yankees were the enemy every year. So fair. I mean, long story short. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yes, we were. We had uh, guests scheduled for the show, uh, but uh, unfortunately. They had an emergency and uh, had to bow out of this week, but we will have them on. And that's uh, Taylor Blake and Shiloh Massive uh, of uh, Massive Seed Co. uh, And um, Taylor from Emerald Cup to talk about Emerald Cup, uh, which the judging is going on right now. Yeah, they have Uh, a really good excuse for not being able to make it today. Yeah, I mean, they're handing out uh, all the kits and everything for Emerald Cup. They're doing a virtual show, but uh, the, the judging is... You know, is obviously people are picking up their kits and all of that. So that's exciting. It's a, a great event, and we will have them on to talk about that and more uh, on a future episode. But uh, yeah, we just decided to make this one chock full of grow info for you guys because, you know, I feel like that's what you guys love the most, anyways, is learning how to grow. So yeah, but we're, you know, we're also going to talk about some current events and we're going to do a game. So there's something for everybody this episode. Oh, I would of say. course. Yeah. Very well-rounded show. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I, if people were listening last week, they might remember that uh, we dealt with a little constructive criticism at the top of the show. And um, after doing that, we actually got a response from Captain Autoflower on Facebook. And uh, he wrote, Hey, thank you for addressing my comment on the show. I probably should have come across a bit more friendly because I do enjoy listening. And it's not that I necessarily disagree with your political opinions. I'm just so burnt out on politics and cannabis cultivation is my escape. Anyway, keep up the great work and I will keep listening. And we, Dan and I, we both really appreciated that. We understand it's it's a lot out there and, and we appreciate if you come to us, you know, to not think about that. So 
maybe we will we'll take a break from political stuff uh, this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it can't be part of our constant discourse, you know, especially I think, you know, now things are mellowing out a bit and, and uh, you know, hopefully we've rounded a, a corner politically in a lot of ways. And I'm not just talking about American politics, but just vaccines and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I did see something interesting, though, and this is not political so much because I think everybody agrees on this. Um, I've been rewatching The Wire mm. on HBO Max because uh, I think it's a brilliant show. I loved it when it came out and I hadn't seen it in a long time. And um, so, you know, the Baltimore police just recently tweeted out about a what they call a significant marijuana seizure and arrest. And they've tweeted out this photo of the pot that they busted and the backpack and, you know, a couple of different baggies. I mean, it can't be more than a pound or so of cannabis. And they're calling it the significant marijuana seizure. And, you know, I just, it's just so offensive, uh, especially in a place like Baltimore. And because, you know, you watch The Wire and you realize just how pervasive uh, the situation is and how many murders there are. And, you know, the creator and writer of The Wire, David Simon, actually retweeted this. I retweeted it as well, if you want to take a look at my Twitter. And he wrote that the only significant uh, thing about a marijuana seizure here is that the personnel involved weren't doing any actual police work in a city that definitely needs it. And I think, you know, he, this just happened today, uh, him tweeting about this, but it goes back to the 90s and, and to the early 2000s when he was a writer uh, and the creator of The Wire. He had been a, uh, a journalist, a, a reporter, uh, in Baltimore, covering the this war on drugs that seemingly never ends, you know, just the players change in this game, and you know, a bust happens and someone else takes over that corner, and the 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 show really did a lot for showing just the futility of this war on drugs, and also just how what a waste of time, effort, energy, and everything. And at one point, I in you know in season three or so, there's a police. Uh, captain or sergeant or whoever who actually creates these legalized zones that he calls Amsterdam, uh, where he finds these low impact places where he tells the, the drug dealers to just go there and sell your drugs there. There's a reduction of crime. Um, there's needle exchanges, there's condom giveaways. It becomes this kind of scary yet, you know, also kind of necessary place. And, of course, you know, he gets fired. It's this huge controversy and the politics, you know, not to get <laughs> back into that word, but it's the politics that are standing in the way because everybody sort of recognizes that, you know, drugs need to be legal, but no one's willing to do anything about it. And everyone on every side is profiting in one way or, or another off of the prohibition of it. And, you know, it just struck me that, you know, David Simon really exposed the machinations behind uh, the war on drugs in Baltimore. It's, it's a city where there's a lot of other crime as well. Uh, and I think, I don't know, it just, it just struck me that uh, as I'm rewatching the show, this is still going on in 2021 in Baltimore, Maryland, where people can buy medical marijuana at a dispensary. I mean, it's just what a waste. And, and I think David Simon is 
100% correct saying that this is not actual police work and it's in a city that definitely needs it. So he really put uh, an exclamation point on just the futility of this and, and what a waste it is. And it just seems like, you know, here we are again, 20 years after The Wire, still trying to solve a problem by ignoring the root causes of it and ignoring anything that actually works against it. Yeah, you know what would have been interesting is if um, David Simon and Sam Simon of The Simpsons switched jobs for like a week. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I dig that. That is good. And if you want to, if you want to take a look at that, you could just get on Dan's Twitter. Uh, he he tweeted it out, and you could check that photo out. Um, but I too have a non-political story that I'd like to share with everybody. And I'll just read the headline here, and uh, brace yourselves. Alaska woman using outhouse attacked by bear from below. So, Yeesh. yeah, that means the bear was in the toilet and, and bitter from, from, from below. Uh, that's uh, it's the stuff of nightmares right there. <laughs> I mean, for real. I've always, you know, you, you wonder about like a snake or a rat or something in a toilet, but like an outhouse and a bear down in that hole. God. I mean, it's... The woman uh, said, uh, I got out there and sat on the toilet, and immediately something bit my butt right as I sat down. I jumped up, I screamed uh, when it happened. Fortunately, you know, she was okay, and I think the best part about this is that they were staying in a yurt nearby and ran back to the yurt for safety. Okay. I I've seen yurts before, and I don't think they're keeping an angry bear out. I mean, also, isn't the bear just covered with doo-doo? Oh, God. I mean, it's down inside the outhouse. Oh, Lord. I didn't Ugh. think about that. Just... A foul, shit-covered bear chasing you around Alaska. Yeah. Get in the yard. All the festivals that I've been to and all the porta-potties out there in the world. I mean, I hate porta-potties. I mean, a brand-new, spanking clean porta-potty right out of the porta-potty factory. It's already disgusting. And then, you know, never mind a weekend in the woods. But, um, Yeah. <laughs> What well, now, yeah, you got that to work. That's a buzzkill, Mike. You're going to have to get our, our listeners high somehow. We'll win them back. Don't worry. <laughs> you got to win them back. That's a total buzzkill. Everybody to the yurt. Get in the yurt, Dan. Burning down the yurt. <laughs> uh, Those are some apolitical things that are happening in the news. But uh, we also have an apolitical game that we're going to play uh, if you guys want to hang around after the break. Uh, it is going to be Name That Strain, where Danny Danko tries his very best to name that strain yes uh yeah so let's please stick around uh after these messages we will play name that strain hey you guys this episode is brought to you by excelsior extracts and their incredible thc infused relief rub uh, and now this stuff really works and uh, I know it works because it's made by our friend Outcast, and she needs very, very strong topicals. Uh, so the Relief Rub is the strongest topical I've ever tried. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, all one word. Uh, DM them for info on the Relief Rub if you're interested, and uh, give them a follow. Uh, they're great people, and they grow great cannabis and make great products. So thank you to Excelsior Extracts. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back. And here we are. 
Uh, Mike, we got a game to play, don't we? Yeah, man. So this game is Name That Strain. And uh, the idea is Danny Danko, a cultivation master. He was the, uh, the senior cultivation editor for High Times Magazine for a number of years. He's an author. He wrote the, the field guide to marijuana strains. So this man, he knows these strains. I'm going to give some hints, and he is going to guess what strain I'm referring to until you either guess the strain or just give up. And everyone can feel free to play along at home. What do you think, Dan? Should we name that strain? Sounds good. Let's do it. I'll give a quick example. This one doesn't count because it's super easy, but this is how it would work. I would say something like this strain uh, was uh, created from a bag seed found at a Grateful Dead show in 1991. Chemdog. Okay, so you get the idea. Let's jump right in here. Sounds like fun. Okay. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This first one uh, is a newish classic. It came out of Holland in the 1990s. It is a sativa-dominant strain, and it led to the creation of a number of related strains. It flowers in 9 to 10 weeks. It won first place sativa at the 1999 Cup, and it was also a High Times Top 10 strain in 2010. Can you name that strain? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, is it uh, Super Silver Haze? It is not. Would you like a hint? You said sativa dominant, right? Sativa dominant, yes. Okay, and involved in the creation of other strains. Okay, uh, yeah, give me a hint. Family. It, it has a family of strains. So, hint uh, created by Sensi Seed Bank? Hmm, okay. Uh, Jack Herrer? Oh, Jack Herrer, you got it. Is That's that the it. one? You nailed okay, it. Perfect. That is it. All right, one for one. Jack Herrer is correct. Amazing strain named after an amazing man. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, it was, I think it was $375 for 10 seeds uh, when it first came out. And I just, I was like, no one's going to pay that. That's crazy. And now, I mean, since then, I've seen auction, seeds at auction go for $16,000 a pack or something. Uh, So it's crazy that, uh, you know, we thought that was an insane amount to pay for, for a 10 pack of seeds. But uh, the strain lives on to this day, and it's a great one to smoke and great one to grow, so uh, well worth the money. Should have been seed collectors. Good Lord. <laughs> All right, uh, so that was number one. Uh, let's move on. Next uh, strain, uh, another sativa-dominant strain, uh, eight- to nine-week flowering time. This one has haze in its lineage. It's a California strain, but it was particularly popular in the Bay Area, and it's also a favorite of uh, medical cannabis patients. Can you name that strain? Huh. Hmm. Is it Blue Dream? It is Blue Dream. Wow. Well done. Well done. Now, uh, we should tell people at home that Dan does not know the answers here. He is guessing these strains as I give him the clues. Yes. All right, Blue Dream. That one also, uh, that was a High Times Top 10 strain in 2010. And it is a blueberry uh, times haze cross. So two for two. Let's move on. Maybe this will be a little more difficult. This strain, it comes from two cannabis classics. It smells a bit like lemons and gas. It flowers in about nine weeks. DNA created a version of it that won third place for best overall strain at the 2009 Cup. And uh, it was a top 10 strain in 2010. Can you name that strain? Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, is it Tangy? It is not. Uh, Again, I'll emphasize the two strains that make this strain are absolute classics. 
Okay. Uh, maybe NL5 Hayes? No. Shall no, we give you uh, a hint? Yes, give me a hint. Okay. It gets its name from a feeling you might get when you smoke it. Hmm. Interesting. A feeling that you get when you smoke it. Hmm. Is there another hint you got out there? I could give you um, one of the two strains that make up the lineage. Okay. Okay. Uh, sour diesel. Okay. So then uh, it would be something diesel or diesel something. <laughs> uh, stone diesel? No, not stone diesel. No. I don't know. I think you stumped me. Okay. Oh, uh, the big clue there was the feeling that you get when you smoke it. It starts in your head, and the strain is headband. Headband. That's a sour diesel and OG Kush. Okay. All right. All right. Headband. I should have got that, but uh, yeah, that's a good one. All right. Well, you're two for three. You're still ahead. We got a couple more here to do, so I think you'll like this one. This is uh, an old school classic sativa known for its high energy creative high and it's also a very important building block in pot genetics it's been used to create countless strains and it first originated in california hmm uh let's see it sounds like a haze of some kind uh are we talking about uh neville's haze purple haze no just to think think more generally Haze? It's Haze, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. Good guess. Was, <laughs> the clues were going to be Santa Cruz, 1960s, and Neville was a big fan. Okay. Yeah, that's that Haze. People love it or hate it. I love it. <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Now, uh, these next two may be a little more difficult, but I think you still got it in you. Again, all of these are in your book, The, uh, the Field Guide to Marijuana Strains. No curveballs here. So, next strain. This indica-dominant strain has a citrusy, fruity, and skunky taste and smell. It was created by a female grower. It was named a top 10 strain in 2007. It flowers in eight weeks. And I'll read you what you yourself wrote about it. She's 70% indica, so she stays short and stocky and finishes quickly, making her perfect for both screen of green and sea of green growing. Can you name that strain? Hmm. I think my first guess would be Jilly Bean. That's it. That's Jilly the one. Bean. You know it. Wow. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I know well my own words. <laughs> this is a low bar that we're setting. <laughs> you know your own thing that you said and wrote. Well, you wrote it a while ago. It, it was a long time. So, yeah. Um, but that lineage that book is, is a, a decade old now. My goodness. It was 2011 where it came out. So. The handy book. I've got my copy right here. You know, never leave home without it. Uh, but the Jilly Bean lineage is Space Queen uh, times Orange Velvet. And, of course, the, the other hint I was going to give you was it was released by TGA. Okay. Yeah. Love that All right. jelly bean. Jelly bean. And Miss Jill. And Miss Jill. And R.I.P. Subcool. Indeed. So, uh, we have done five at this point, and you are, believe it or not, uh, you are four for five. Pretty good. Not bad. Last one. Can you name this strain? Uh, this sativa-dominant strain hit hard in the mid-2000s. It comes out of Canada and it won first place for Sativas at the 2004 Cup, and it was a top 10 strain the following year in 2005. And just to give you a little more, remember it's a Canadian strain, growers might notice it turns pink as it grows, 
and it, its taste can be described as sweet lemons. Can you name that strain? I think I can. I think I know this one. Is it uh, Love Potion Number One? <laughs> it is. It's Love Potion Number One. Good job. <laughs> yes, Reefer Man Genetics. Uh, our friend Charles, uh, amazing breeder, and that pink, you know, comes from the Colombian side of that strain. Uh, I can remember smoking it for the first time in Amsterdam. I believe it was 2004 or five, and it was a game changer, you know, to ha to to taste something that really was such a big throwback to uh, the Colombian, you know, Punta Roja and the the those, you know, uh, the Colombian gold strains of of the 70s, uh, and have that citrus lemon flavor come out in in that uh was really amazing especially in a sea of hazes you know where every other sativa strain in holland at the time was very much on the on the spicy sandalwood uh, incense kind of side and this was like a real lemony um fruit bomb yeah there you go the hints were going to be it's it's reminiscent of the old school psychedelic colombian cannabis uh, flowers in 9 to 10 weeks. Of course, you already said it was created by Reefer Man, and the lineage is a G13 by Santa Marta Colombian Gold. You named that strain very well done. How did you guys do at home? Were you playing along? Did you do okay? Let us know. Yes, please do let us know. That was fun. We got to do, do more games. I like it. Yeah, man, for sure. Next time uh, we're without a guest, we'll game it up. <laughs> for sure. But uh, also, we have a lot of cultivation stuff to talk about, too, so, you know. Yeah, why don't we uh, take a break and get right to it? Sounds good to me. All right, perfect. Then uh, we'll be right back after these messages with our jam-packed cultivation segment. Hey guys, Grow Bud Yourself is so proud to be sponsored by Sweet Leaf Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic and synthetic nutrients uh, amazing amendments, great stuff on their website. And using the code DANKO15, you can get 15% off of everything at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. They have amazing organic fertilizers, amendments, indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, smell-proof bags, duffel bags, all kinds of backpacks, and an incredible line of newts that work wonderfully with cannabis. We got a great promotion going on with Patreon, where we're giving away sweet leaf nutrients at those different levels, and lots of promo codes there as well. So we are just super psyched to have Sweet Leaf on as a sponsor for the show, and we hope that you will also support them. Join us on our Patreon page for some free newts, and check out their site, sweetleaf.com, for nutrients and more. All right, welcome back. And we are now in the cultivation segment portion of the show, I believe. And I should mention that the cultivation segment is brought to you by Diamond Cut Co. Premium Quality Trimming Scissors. Uh, you got to hand trim if you want high quality cannabis. Get yourself some Diamond Cut Co's. They have free shipping. These are top of the line made for growers by growers with conscious ergonomic designs. Check out their website to see the different options you can get. And remember to use code DANKO20 for 20% off for anybody uh, on their site. So check out DiamondCutCo.com and use that code. That's a good deal. 20% off. 
Yeah, and I mean, they have bundles where you can buy five of the different ones that they have. Uh, and it's a, really a substantial uh, markdown when you take 20% off. Pretty awesome. And we, we thank the people of Diamond Cut Co. for uh, supporting the show. Absolutely. So, yeah, we are in the cultivation segment for episode 42, and uh, it, it is not uh, the strain fortnight, it is an off fortnight, but that doesn't mean that we don't have some great grow information. So each week, you like to uh, give a little tip about growing that'll help our listeners become better cultivators. What would you like to discuss this week? Yes, uh, so this week, uh, I will be talking about fungus gnats. If you're sick of swatting and missing these things, you're just like me. Uh, they f sort of float around. They're kind of lighter than air. Once they've, you know, gotten into their flying form, they're just really annoying. They're not, uh, it's not a, really a bug you can capture. Um, so, you know, the first step is realizing you have fungus gnats. So uh, you see small black flies uh, that are just sort of hovering around. Um, and, and, you know, if you have a moist environment, that's what's going to happen. So if you're overwatering plants and leaving water in the uh, containers or you just have, you know, typical humidity situations, uh, fungus gnats are something that you probably will be dealing with. Now, the flying forms, they don't really eat the leaves or anything like that. They're just really annoying. But the the uh, the larvae are in the soil and they do eat the, eat the roots. So uh, you don't want them competing with your roots or, or, or nibbling on them. Um, there's a number of things you can do that are preventative, uh, including watering your plants from below so you don't have that top, you know, inch, inch and a half layer of moist uh, medium where the gnats love to uh, lay their eggs and that area is very moist. Uh, they love it and they will multiply quickly. So if you uh, water, you know, or feed from below, uh, and let the plant sort of absorb what it needs upwardly, you can avoid having that area being moist because there's not a lot of roots there anyway. Uh, so it's really a place where uh, fungal infestations and gnats can can thrive. Um, yellow sticky traps uh, will control the problem as well. They'll help control it. Uh, the gnats are attracted to that yellow co color and they will fly to the sticky traps and stick to them. Um, to get rid of the younger larva, uh, you can drench the soil with a biological larvicide. Uh, there's a one on the market called Natural, G-N-A-T-R-O-L. Uh, you can do that twice weekly for a month or so. Uh, I don't really love neem oil anymore the way I used to, so I don't recommend it uh, as much as something like a larvicide, insecticide, uh, uh, fungicides. Those are biological and i think uh the problem with neem oil even though it is organic typically or biological uh it can accumulate and i've heard that it can even cause uh some of these symptoms that people have of, of when it's concentrated in particular uh so i just uh i'm i'm sour on neem oil these days I, i'm not a big fan anymore i think insecticidal soaps are a safer alternative and a matter of fact there's a company called safer that makes them uh, a life cycle of these bugs is typically less than eight days or so from a larva to a flying uh, pest, I would say. Uh, not as much of a pest as spider mites, obviously, because they're not eating your plants and killing them. But they're annoying and their larvae eat the roots and, and they're just, they're a pain. So 
The best way to avoid them is to not provide a comfortable home for them. Uh, remember to keep that top layer uh, dry of your medium uh, by bottom feeding your plants using a wick system or you can have self-watering containers that have uh, reservoirs in the bottom of the container that you fill through a tube. Uh, the plant's roots will just pull up what they need. That top layer will be less desirable real estate for the fungus gnats to even move in and lay their eggs. And, you know, as always with all insects, prevention is always better than actually dealing with infestation. So try to be pre as preventative as possible and, uh, get yourself a bottle of natural uh, just in case you need to get rid of an infestation of, of fungus gnats and some yellow sticky traps. Those are good for a lot of different types of flying bugs and are a great indicator to just to tell you that you may have a problem arising. So yellow sticky traps are, are essential uh, grow room tools. And that's my spiel on fungus gnats. That's it on gnats. Fungus gnats, okay. And uh, now it is time to answer some questions from our listeners. If you have a question that you would like answered on this show, uh, get in touch with us. You could email us uh, at info at growbudyourself.com. You could also reach us on uh, all the socials, etc. So let's jump right in. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, let's start with our old friend, Southern Motorway Grower. And uh, he writes, hi, guys. I was wondering if you could answer this question. With the recent implementation of Brexit, I forgot all about Brexit, wow. Um, strict border enforcement has made getting medicinal seeds near impossible with many seed banks refusing to send to the UK. Uh, this got me thinking about making my own seeds. Can you feminize an already feminized plant with colloidal silver? Or can you only spray on a regular female plant to produce male sacs to self-pollinate? Uh, I always enjoy listening to the most influential podcast in recent times. Kind regards. So uh, what would you say to Southern Motorway Grower? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Can you feminize an already feminized plant? I, I would assume that you can. Uh, I don't know that you would want to. Uh, I do believe that uh, in order to get the best genetics when you're doing something like that, you want to use regular female plant or regular male plant if you're doing that sort of thing. Um, if you're using an already feminized plant, I think you have, there's a lot more potential to have uh, herms resulting from that uh, selfing that you're going to be doing. Um, so you're talking about colloidal silver. Uh, there's other ways to do it as well. You're basically just stressing the plant out. We talked about this last week, actually, um, with Swerve because he sells that Swerve juice, which is his version of something that you can use to feminize uh, a plant. So... I would not try to do it with an already feminized plant. I would use a regular female plant. Um, but, you know, even then, you should be cautious and do a lot of reading about breeding because simply just feminizing a plant and then planting those seeds does not necessarily or, you know, specifically probably won't result in some amazing uh, seeds and, and genetics. Uh, and what you really want to be doing is selecting for desirable traits and things like that. Um, it's not just a matter of feminizing a plant and having seeds. It's a matter of making sure those seeds are of uh, high genetic quality. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to do it, do it with regular female plants, I recommend. Uh, although, you know, I'll talk to a breeder about this and see. Maybe maybe doing it to feminize plants is, is, is fine. I just have a feeling that they've already been through stress to become where they're at. And if I were doing it, I'd want to start with 
uh, start from scratch with something that uh, I know is a guaranteed female. And uh, yeah, I guess there you have it. That's my take on uh, stressing feminized plants to, in order to create seeds. All right. Sounds good. And thank you, SMG. Keep those questions coming. Good luck with Brexit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move on to Gunja Gonzalez, who writes, Dear Danny and Mike, uh, shout-outs to the greatest podcast around. Wow. Wow, thank you. Yeah. I've had several quite successful grows in my grow tent, and one of the great things about growing is learning new things and experimenting. I wanted to learn about hydroponics because, as far as I know, uh, the plants grow faster. But there are a lot of different systems like ebb and flow, deep water technique, aeroponics, and so on, uh, so could you give me tips on that topic? Like, what is the easiest way or system for a newbie in hydroponics? Uh, what are the most important things to watch for? And most of all, is it worth the time, money, and trouble compared to growing in soil, especially when you only have a small uh, space to grow in? So, yeah, uh, interesting. What would you say there to Gunja Gonzalez? Yeah, it is a good question. And uh, it's one I, you know, I talk about a lot because it's really, uh, it really depends on the grower. I mean, hydroponics, it requires dialing in things that you don't have to worry about uh, when you're growing in soil. So you're correct to say that the plants will grow faster when everything's dialed in perfectly. Uh, but if any one of those things is not dialed in, the plants can die very quickly too. So we say, we say that it's, it's less forgiving to grow hydroponically. Um, the easiest way to grow hydroponically is the ebb and flow uh, or the flood and drain type of system where you have a table. Uh, a plastic table uh, with drains that drain to a reservoir underneath the table and a pump inside that reservoir that pumps water, you know, three, four times a day or however many times you need up into that tray and then eventually, you know, 15 minutes or so drains it out. And so the plants are automatically watered. They can sit in the tray in uh, grow rocks. They can sit in rock wool. Uh, they can sit in basically any inert medium, which makes them hydroponic in that way. Um, you know, then there's deep water technique. That's a little tougher because each plant has its own container. Uh, you're dealing with mist. Uh, you you want to make sure your pumps and everything are running. Uh, aeroponics is even more complicated because that's where the plants are only in mist and not uh, dangling into some water. Um, so if that fails, that can be catastrophic. So... Uh, the key really to hydroponics is the reservoir uh, and it's maintaining the reservoir and there's three major things that have to always be dialed in and that is the temperature of the water. Uh, you don't want it going up in the 80s or anything like that. You don't want it super cold either below 65. So you want to aim for 70 or so, 71, 72, keeping in mind that depending on where you live, the, the pump inside there can heat it up. The uh, if you have air stones and an uh, air pump in there to create oxygenated water, that's going to heat that up as well. Uh, and you don't want it to be either too hot or too cold. You get root rot when it's too hot. Uh, so temperature is important in the reservoir. Uh, parts per million, which is the amount of nutrients, and you have to factor in that the plant is taking in nutrients, the water is, is leaving into the air. Uh, so there's constant... Uh, monitoring of that reservoir and then finally the pH of that nutrient solution in the reservoir as well because that can change and you need to be able to adjust that all the time so hydroponics I don't recommend for beginners it's much more difficult I think you know hand growing in soil especially in small spaces is good 
one of the benefits of hydroponics is you're not using soil. So, you know, a lot of people will say it's cleaner. There's less issues with bugs. Um, you don't have to throw out soil. Uh, you can reuse grow rocks. You can reuse, uh, you know, the same equipment basically over and over. Uh, so if you're living in an apartment where you can't, you know, it seems weird to be constantly bringing in bags of soil and things like that. Uh, th these are questions that you answer for yourself, but it really all boils down to what type of grower you are. Um, are you a green thumb that can grow all different kinds of plants when, you know, when they're in the right conditions, or do you more prefer a sort of laboratory environment and a more scientific approach? All right. Makes sense. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, Gunja Gonzalez. And, uh, you know, either way, we applaud uh, your desire to learn new things. So awesome. Yeah. And your support on Patreon as well. Thank you. Yeah. And speaking of that, why don't we hop over to Patreon and take a question from there. Uh, Donna, our friend Donna, she writes, please talk about cloning. I have been failing at this since December, and it's really putting a crimp in my growing plans. In desperation, I ordered one of those 20-plug cloners off Amazon. Thoughts? Yeah, so uh, the key to cloning for me has always been uh, warmth and humidity. Uh, typical room temperature, especially in December, uh, is far too cold in most places for cloning, so you have to warm it up somehow. I love, you know, I've, for $12 years ago, I bought a mat uh, that you plug in, and uh, it sits underneath my cloning tray. So I have my plastic tray uh, with my clear plastic lid and I use fluorescent lighting. Uh, so you don't, you know, you don't dry anything out. You've, the lighting is, is perfect for, for rooting clones. Uh, you bring it right down to almost just on top, above the lid of that plastic tray. I like to cut holes in the clear plastic uh, lid uh, just to let some air flow through. Sometimes it can get too humid inside there and you get some, some rot. So you want it to be 70%, you know, relative humidity inside that tray and warm, uh, you know, 75 degrees or up to 80 degrees or so, uh, which is warmer than most room temperature. So the heat pad underneath the tray is wonderful. As far as cloning in those 20 plug cloners you're talking about that you get off Amazon, those are going back to what we talked about in the last question, which is hydroponics. Uh, there's a, a pump inside the reservoir there that mists the cut ends of your clones. Uh, I wouldn't have it misting them 24 hours a day. I would do uh, maybe 15 minutes every hour uh, just because I'd want to maybe avoid having them be too moist and getting that uh, mold, mold kind of uh, just that they just fall, kind of fall apart, those cut ends. But if you miss them just perfectly 15 minutes every for 15 minutes, an hour or so, uh, you will find that as long as the temperature of the water is not too hot, uh, no more than 80 degrees for sure. And you have maybe nice, nice, very mild quarter strength nutrient solution inside that. Uh, and it's pH balanced, you know, to a proper, you know, hydro pH. So a little bit slightly less, you can go to 5.5 up to like 6.2, uh, and you will find roots popping out of those cut ends within, you know, typically seven days or so, seven to 10 days. And at that point, get them into whatever grow medium you're gonna be growing in as quick as possible uh, and get them under lights and keep them healthy. Uh, but yeah, the key to cloning for me has always just been uh, humidity and heat, 
warmth. So that $12 uh, electric pad that I put under those trays increased my rooting capabilities from, you know, let's say 75% to 90%. And if you can save that many plants and have healthier plants going into veg, you're going to be way ahead. And so um, that's what I, you know, I would do that in, you know, little rock wool cubes if you want. If, you, if you're opposed to using rock wool, uh, there's alternatives to that, cocoa, uh, and those even those peat plugs are, are perfect. So that's, you know, the key to cloning. Just every once in a while, a uh, couple times a day, give, them, give your clones a nice mist. Uh, some people cut the ends of the leaves off. I don't really believe you have to do that, but it might create a little more room in your cloner if you need it. But uh, yeah, just mist them a couple times a day and you'll see the roots pop out and, and your, clone, your cloning ratio will definitely increase if you add warmth and humidity. All right, cool. Uh, so yeah, we hope that helps you out there, Donna. And, uh, okay, so let's go back to email, and to be honest, uh, neither Dan or I could remember if we did this last week, and we were both just a little too lazy to, to look it up, so if you heard this before, uh, I honestly, I don't think we did it, but anyway. So, uh, our friend Jeff, he writes, um, hey guys, I saw this earlier and noticed he had bananas in his tent. If you read the comments below the post, he says it's for the female hormones. What are your thoughts? And it's a photo of some uh, sprouting plants, some pot that's growing, and uh, and unpeeled bananas are sort of laid within the, the grow around the plants. Yeah. No, this is very interesting because I've always heard about bananas, uh, ha or banana peels in particular, having this type of an effect. Uh, or people that were planting seeds uh, would would plant you know, even mush those seeds around kind of inside the inside of a banana peel. Uh, and there was something about that, that they would get, you know, 70 or 80% females instead of 50% females due to that, the, the hormone issue that this, uh, this writer talks about. Um, as far as having them seedlings that have already popped and are growing, I don't know enough about it to know that you're, you're going to, increase your females but i like i said i have heard that the banana peels have this interesting very interesting effect of um having more females in the the female male female to male ratio coming out of regular seeds um now once those seeds are planted and you know rooting and and growing i don't know that you can have the bananas make that change after that i've always heard of it being done with seeds in particular and not with seedlings but um it certainly wouldn't hurt unless you start getting you know fruit flies and, and insects that are drawn there by a rotting banana but uh if you keep those bananas fresh in there i think you know like i said it can't hurt and it might help but i don't know definitively if it does or not because I, I haven't really tested that theory personally nor really delved too deeply into the uh, reaper, you know, the, the ramifications of having those bananas among your ganja plants. It's tropical though. It's nice. I mean, I like the, I like yeah, the it's vibe a nice picture. Yeah. <laughs> I like the vibe for sure. As long as All you keep right. the bananas fresh. Yeah. Important. <laughs> All right. So we hope that helps you out, Jeff. Um, you know what? We have time for one more. So let's do uh, Sputnik. Who writes, greetings guys, thank you for inspiring me to dust off my 11 year old grow tent in CFL light. So I have some temp, stress, and genetics questions. 
Uh, my setup is a 2x2x4.5 foot tent, a 315 watt CMH. Uh, he's got AC infinity fans taking cold air from the basement and outlet vents to the attic. The inlet temps are 65 to 68 degrees. Uh, the temperature in the tent is 79 to 83 depending on the fan orientation. He has a CO2 bag as well. Uh, my concern is that both times I grew Auto OG Diesel Rider, it is hermed on me. I used Reverse on the second grow. It was better, but still hermed. I have a, a week and a half left on my second OGs, but I have two other autos in week 7 in the tent, Fastberry and Original Cheese from different breeders. Both have showed no male preflowers. So are my OGs just shitty seeds? Or am I walking a thin line with too much of a temp difference and stressing them? And also, I've heard that uh, 18.6 for autos and 16.8. So let me know. And uh, yeah, what would you say there to Sputnik? Yeah, I would say uh, your conditions seem fine to me. Uh, you know, temperatures coming in around 65 to 68. Temperatures in the tent a little bit high. 79 to 83 is a little high, but you mentioned that you have the CO2 bag. Uh, that can let the plants deal with a little bit of you know, the low 80s. So I don't think, and especially because you have other plants in there that aren't herming, I think it's got to be the genetics of the OG Kush uh, diesel rider. And autos should not be herming on you. I mean, I can understand the occasional feminized seed uh, having those type of issues, but autos should not really have those issues. They don't really have long enough to live, <laughs> you know, without being super stressed in order to harm unless there's something funny about the genetics and the fact that your other two autos uh, are showing no signs of male flowers leads me to believe that uh, your issue is the OGs uh, and that they are shitty seeds or so you as you said um, so I would just try a different strain in place of those OGs or you know even just try a different OG from a different breeder uh, an auto OG I know uh, Dynafem, I believe, has auto OG Kush, uh, but there's a few out there. As far as the lighting schedule, 18.6 is definitely better for autos than 16.8, in my opinion. Uh, the extra two hours gives you more light, and it won't freak out the plants or stress them out. Uh, if it's a question of electricity or something, and you don't want to spend the money, then you could try the 16.8, but I think it'll affect your yield in a negative manner. So we always tell people 18.6 through veg and flour for autos. All right, very good. Uh, we hope that helps you out, Sputnik. Uh, thanks for writing in. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. You can email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, we're going to take a little break, then come back and wrap this up. Let's do it. All right, welcome back, and I think this is the wrap, so I think I'm going to beatbox. No, just kidding. I'm Do not going to beatbox. Oh. No, no rapping, no beatboxing, but uh, I will be popping and locking. <laughs> and only I get to see. It's delightful. <laughs> yeah, episode 42, uh, Jackie Robinson episode. Uh, I want to say thanks to our sponsors, of course, Sweetleaf, Excelsior Extracts, Diamond Cut Code, Trimming Scissors. Um, remember, at Sweetleaf, the code is Danko15 for 15% off. You get free Sweetleaf nutrients uh, if you sign up as a patron. Patreon on our Patreon. Patreon on our Patreon page. 
anyways, you get free nutrients uh, if you sign up and pay, uh, you know, as little as $4.20 a month to support the show. Um, Diamond Cut Co. code is Danko20 for 20% off. The code at vapor.com for... 15% off is GBY, Grow Bud Yourself Initials. So if you're checking out and you, you want to buy a Puffco Peak or a Pro or, you know, any, I mean, they have volcanoes. They have a gold volcano, like gold-plated volcano. They have every vaporizer you want. Uh, they have tons of really cool stuff. But check out vapor.com. And when you're checking out, use that promo code GBY, and you will get 15% off your order uh, and that also goes to support the show. So thanks to Vapor.com. Uh, thanks to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Um, thanks to my, my co-host, my producer, my friend, my longtime companion, Mike G. Oh, I was wondering who it was going to be. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening and supporting the show. Uh, we will be back next week with episode number 43. Uh, we'll have a very special guest on that show as well. So thank you so much. And I think it might be time uh, for Jackie Robinson episode to go into the books and into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, let's do it. Let's slide into home like Jackie used to and uh, safely arrive back at where we left. Is this like a runtime thing? Are you trying to drag it out to get to like an hour? <laughs> no, I just didn't know where I was gonna, how I was going to end that. You started a sentence and had no idea where that was going. I yes, like indeed. I mean, how else are you going to steal home anyway? I mean, you just got to go for it. Got to improvise. Yeah, and just, you know, put the pressure on the pitcher. Mm-hmm. And the catcher. And the ump. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. The ninth inning has ended. The game is over. Let's put it in the books. Burning down the yurt. <laughs>